So, yes. how did Be More Pirate happen? Tell us more about it. That moment was the end of the journey with uh, Liberty. So I'm getting ready to hand over to a new generation, yet Liberty, really so much of my identity is tied up in this thing. Mm. Um, but now instead of being 24 and thinking I'm going to change everything, mm. I'm nearly 40 and I've got two small children and you know, a very different outlook on life. I'm very, very concerned about where we go next. Mm. And it was 2016 and there was a referendum in this country, there was an election in the US and you know, various repercussions of that playing out across the world. And I felt somewhat concerned that for a man who set out to try and change the world, I failed. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, and what what is our role in all of this? And I look to organisations like Unilever, um, who I admire and very proud of work with over the years, and I worry that we've we haven't lived up to our ambitions. I look to social enterprise where I've been an ambis- ambassador of social enterprise and more, mm. and I worry that we fell short of our expectations and proudly being the champions of a new type of economy and a new type of business have we got there? It doesn't feel like we have it feels like the the danger more so is that we end up looking like we're the vanguard but actually the, the benchmark we represent is too low and because the expectation is so low you know, the danger is people applauding you know, perhaps we're making products that aren't bad for the environment and we've got to non-white, non-male people on our board. Mm-hmm. But our baseline, the expectation of our baseline is so low that we're applauding what should be the base. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what what really good should and needs to look like as we go next. Mm-hmm. And the danger is that we as the guardians of good let others off the hook by not being good enough. And so I reflected on all of us. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say I, you know, I'm proud so much of the work I've done, social enterprise done, Unilever and many others have done. But I'm sceptical as well, and I, and I worry that we've set the sights too low. So I started to write or listen to a book, a man you know, losing his identity within coming out of social enterprise with two children, world on the turn, and zero expectation that anyone's going to read this thing, right? Because I'm dyslexic, non-academic, and I was really doing it to prove a point to myself. Uh, and... I was also hyper aware of the cliche, like middle class, middle aged white guy who runs an agency writes a book. <laughs> and Everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe I'll do a podcast series, you know, just the whole thing. It's a writer message. <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. So to try to counter that slightly, yeah. I really, really diligently workshop the material. So I went to the Young Entrepreneur Network. So I went to, you know, the millennials in big business frustrated at the pace of change. And I went from here to Athens and Soweto and um, Nairobi and Lagos and Baltimore and Detroit, every single tough economy where I thought though, where the entrepreneurs and businesses there are thriving, like that's where the future is coming from, not the centre of London and all of us in our privilege. Right? And I tested this material with them and I started to get this response. It was like there's, there's something in this book, there's something in this, this idea. And that I have used, and many entrepreneurs have used, famously Steve Jobs uses, you know, the, I'd rather be a pirate than John Navy, the metaphor of pirates. But as I felt the need for some role models that I think we, we, we lack, in the notable exception of Unilever aside, I think there is a vacuum of imagination at the leadership of most organisations. And in that gap, we're running into trouble. And I think the next generation are looking more often to the side than they are looking up. And I started to think this metaphor of pirates actually runs true. And I started to do my research properly and I found out some things that nobody seems to know about pirates. Mm-hmm. Like? 
300 years ago exactly, 1719, the millennials of the 18th century were named as pirates. But they weren't really what we think of pirates. They weren't the kind of the jolly vagabonds. Yeah. They were professionals who'd been doing exactly the same thing for the last 150 years under government sanction, robbing at sea Spanish yeah. gold. And because the diplomacy meant that the rules had changed, they didn't just reject this really broken system, but they rewrote some rules of it. Now, the backdrop is international interconnected conflict, which nobody knows which is ways right or wrong, sound familiar. Uh, an upper establishment with no real sense of democracy, but their own self-interest at heart, sound familiar. Uh, this generation was locked out of its own future because there wasn't really a roadmap or a plan for them, and mass invasion was threatening huge amounts of redundancy, sound familiar. And rather than suck it all up, uh, there has to be another way. And so they left on, on, at sea. They used the business model of the hour, and they started to rewrite rules that rejected the way things had gone before. So instead of taking deeply stratified, hierarchical, brutal systems, they create fair pay and equality in what we would call holacracy or flat systems. Uh, instead of taking this non-democratic and really exploitative notion, they create some of the most democratic, in fact, the first proto-democratic republic of its type. Um, instead of accepting you know, the inequality of the time, they were started releasing people of colour from the slave trade and giving them equal rights and responsibility. You had female captains and, and figures of leadership. And so they just pushed back on everything that was immoral and improper and not working and created this petri dish of democracy, of equality, of liberty, of justice. Uh, and the reason that was written out of the history book and the reason eventually after 30 odd years of this golden age of piracy, you know, setting light the story around the world, the reason they were crushed was because they threatened the idea mm -hmm. of the old republic and they, they were beginning to begin bring in the idea of democracy. This is the age of rebellion. Russia's about to go off, Paris is, France is about to kick off, the Americans haven't kicked us out, we're still threatening a, you know, something from the Civil War. And truthfully, they are the missing link in our understanding of working workers' rights. You know, they were working class heroes and, and social innovators. But the big jump from the English Civil War, the, the mm -hmm. fight around workers' rights, and then you leap forward um, to the cooperative movement, the suffragettes and trade unions, the pirates represent a missing part of the DNA. Mm -hmm. And that's why they were crushed, and that's why their history was, was written out, because they threatened the order. Mm -hmm. And that's why, as I look to this generation now, who cannot look up, you know, there are very, very few individuals that you can really point out to demonstrate the kind of leadership the world needs. Yeah. And so here's a generation who I would prefer to see, set out to see and begin some petri dish ex experiments of, you know, in, with crumbling and failing institutions around us, what we need to do is not prop them up any longer than is required, but give space to the new ideas for organising that will take place in the shadows. And then there is what I'm calling pirate. So how does a company like Unilever be more pirate? What would be your examples, advice? I think it's pretty hard. I think that the, the central argument of the book is the biggest mistake we can make right now is to believe the way things are is the way they have to be. Mm -hmm. And Unilever, I perceive, has a bit of a challenge on its hands because there is a really brilliantly articulated intellectual argument of which you provide visionary leadership, no doubt, within some of the most influential parts of the world. And then there's a kind of a middle tier who are delivering that. And the back end of it, you know, absolutely there's advances being made in terms of innovation, packaging, recycling, everything else. Mm -hmm. And then there's the reality, right, where the rubber hits the road and the majority of our customers are in supermarkets and environments around you know, the world and it's less well intended and you're still involved in a, in a, in a, mm -hmm. in a ground war for price point and promotion and you know, shelf distribution where, where all the revenue comes from. 
And if you speak to those members of your team, they are less, they believe less in the big message. And they don't necessarily believe that they're given the suitable air cover or that the argument for purpose, intellectualized as it is, is given to them in the kind of marketeer's handbook of how you win more racking in Asda, yeah, where we're going to sell the majority of our soap powder. So my principles of being more pirate, the first one is getting really close to the uncomfortable truths of all of this, mm. like really the uncomfortable truths of it, giving people the space and spirit for rebellion. You know, there's a big rebellion that the Unilever represents, but the, you know, there's a degree of conformity within. You know, there's not culture really speaking out from the, the lower echelons, these kind of things. It's not, it's not seen or deemed as a place to, to do that, break ranks. How do we do that? How do we encourage rebellion? Not easy. Yeah, no, it's really not easy. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be easy for me to listen to you know, I'm thirty years old and making my career and you tell me that I can break some rules. Mm. I'm like, yeah, right. Actually, no. I probably you know, I mean even if there's all the trust and clear respect and love there is for you, it's incredibly hard to, to see that. So really making the space to do this. Mm. So the act of rule breaking I think is one, creating space to do so and demonstrating that that's tolerated and encouraged. Because a lot of people will say that, but actually, yeah, you know, when I was in my own career, I've broken so many rules, and there weren't any rules very much for first sure. woman in those jobs. Yeah, but you have to break rules. I know, but you and I have got a degree of privilege in that because of the success we've had and whatever, and we might not have had at one point along the line, but then after a time. So, and yeah, I've failed miserably with many things, but people don't see that when you're sure, completely, yes. They see you as a successful person, but they don't see you as someone who's totally, and they won't know how difficult it was or how hard it was when you were being the first one. Yeah. And completely, but large organisations like this value, or that they, they might signal in certain areas that what we want is rule breaking, but actually what they signal in many others is what we value is conformity. Mm. And you accepting that that's the truth of it is part one, and not just being frustrated that you encourage people to break rules and they don't, that's on them, it's not on them. It's culturally, this is not a place that feels particularly like it celebrates that, the non-conformist. Um, but once you do get one or two rebels, then really champion it. Because all it takes is one or two rebels, and then others will gather around them. You know, they're just waiting for it, waiting for someone to break ranks, and then that person gets heroed, and that person celebrated. Because this isn't really about rule breaking. Your career isn't about rule breaking, it's about rule rewriting, setting new precedents. And what I observe, the more I've studied this, is most of the rules that we've got are really um, uh, something that was put in place when somebody else made a mistake quickly. We need to, we need to write that. Yeah. Here's a new rule. Yeah. And that's a terrible way, you know, and yeah. five years later we're still doing this thing that was put in place for someone yeah. effed up, right? Um, and then it becomes a precedent. And precedents are really a, a perspective, are about perspective. You know, Lena knows what she's doing, so we should listen to her yeah. perspective or power. Lena's in charge, so we'll trust what she says. Yeah. And you know full well you've been making it up most yeah. of the time, to the best of your professional judgment, Absolutely. with good intention, rounded objectives, and you're super smart. So, you know, you're, you're legitimately allowed to make it up. Nonetheless, that's what we're doing. And Moving into that space means that the rule we write becomes easier. And then there's an aspect of distribution of power and how are we going to let others write rules and then we're really going to follow these and not let this be a... You know, as soon as those exercises turn into post-it notes and flip charts, I, I become suspicious that this is a devolution of real responsibility, write it down so it can happen somewhere else. What the pirates demonstrate is this degree of, uh, firstly, values-based decision-making. This pirate code that they have is really based on values that you're willing to fight for. And I think that a lot of people here really believe in the social mission, certainly the environmental argument of usually people are willing to fight for that. Mm. But how does that translate to me today? Mm. What am I willing to fight for? I'm quite disassociated from, mm. the, from the problems we're really facing. But knowing what those values are that you're really and truly mm. willing to fight for, then be given the chance to, mm. chance to live it, right? That's, 
that's the bit that's exciting about this. And once you've written a new rule, far from being chaos agents, uh, pirates would be completely accountable. Because you can't sit around and complain and go, oh, well, you know, fuck it, the man has told me what to do. I, I, I've told myself what to do. This is my rule. Now I have to prove that I'm going to make it yeah. work. And then once you have one or two examples of these, it takes off. And that's it. The, 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 the only success metric I've got of mutinies and organisations that don't so far is that people follow. You can't OKR it or KPI it. Someone has set out to do something new around here. Mm. They've gone rogue. They've written a new way of doing things. And now others are beginning to follow them. That's how change comes. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, you know, you've talked about transparency, democracy, dual executives. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, these are some of the big, big notions that the, the pirates were challenging in their, their organisation. So the idea of pay transparency now, you know, we're a long way away from that. Mm. Um, try as we might, and I know Unilever is better than others, but there's no one that's uh, perfect at this. Um, the dual executive was created on board a pirate ship because uh, the, the merchant navy certainly and the royal navy were brutal existence where the captain was this kind of oligarch of a community and so they put a quartermaster in charge of culture and captain in charge of strategy but made them equal status so they've invented the dual executive system you know a check and balance upon this so that the teams um, and then the thing that's interesting about this is in 1719 when this was all going on this kind of stuff would have got you not just arrested, but possibly killed. Yeah. You know, workers' rights. I mean, they had they had same-sex marriage with a with an inheritance clause on board pirate ships, whereas in the navy you'd be executed for any kind of homosexual activity. So, th- they were coming up with solutions to the challenges of the day. Uh, they were meeting the, the huge issues of the day with huge ideas. And I think we've got huge challenges, and we're meeting them with small ideas. Mm. You know. Well, I think I think it's necessary. You know, they they're like, here are the daunting challenges of our app. Here's my dauntingly big idea that makes my hair stand right. Yeah. And often we're like, here's the daunting challenge of the hour. And here's the tiny idea. Here's a tiny little tweaked policy that maybe it'll take us years to get signed off, and actually we'll let the semantics of it water it down so badly that we'll have to do this again in a while. You know, our ineffectiveness in the face of yes, daunting odds, but we know how to overcome daunting odds. It's small and regular, bold steps. You know, they compound over time. That's how change comes about. And so, yes, I think in the vacuum of otherwise inspirational leadership, perhaps it's time to relook at, we know the great heroes of the civil rights movement and the suffragettes, and we know absolutely these are people who are willing to do the wrong thing. Well, there's no question in the, in the time of Millicent Fawcett was stepping exactly. forward or, exactly. or Martin Luther King was stepping forward, they were doing the wrong, they were breaking the law, they were breaking form, they were breaking rules of society, breaking states, but doing literally doing the wrong thing, putting the net on the line because they knew in time it was going to be the right thing. There are very few statues, you know, if you sit alongside those kind of statues for people who were just following orders. You know, our great rule breakers are like artists, they're prescient because they can see how things have to progress. So blessed are the rule breakers for they indicate what might come. Fabulous. Fascinating. Yeah. So when this book broke in the UK, I broke some rules and there wasn't really a big marketing budget behind yeah. it. So I fly posted the whole front of Penguin Random House's office in my publishers. I the entirety of it. My background, as you know, is in nightclubs. So I took a nightclub in bright pink. Yeah. Made a, a sign as big as a bus. And it's on Boxwell Bridge Road, you know, six lanes of traffic. And so I started the notion of rule breaking right from the outset. And the book ended up in the top hundred in day one. But the commercial bit isn't the interesting bit. The interesting bit is 
the response from a community of people like-minded to us asking similar questions to that which you asked. You know, so how do we get this happening here? And at first I thought, these are just the crazies who I read books and write authors, of which there are some. Um, but once I've gone into the hundreds of people writing to me saying, you've inspired me to take action, or, or you've articulated my frustrations in the world, I'm going to do something about this then. And I just started to like, uh, well, A, I had to really get on the back of the public speaking yes. circuit, which is how you make some money with books, and that's been fantastic because I've got a family in my size. Um, but this, this, this community, I didn't know what to do with for months. Wow. And so at the end of last year, I said, I need to know whether this is real. And I sent a single tweet into the universe and said, Dear Pirate Movement, as you keep getting called, yeah. are you really there? Yeah. I've set up a date on Eventbrite with 150 tickets. I'm not going to talk at it. You will have to come and tell the stories of your real rebellions and ask others how they can help, and we'll see if we can make them actually make a difference. If you're not there, don't worry about it. If you're really there and you want to do something, then come. I'll organise it. 150 tickets sold out in 13 minutes. Really? Yep. And so I hired a boat uh, to keep it on the theme. Um, in fact, if you ever want to do a networking event, don't do it on a pirate ship. It's terrible. It's like five foot, foot high. It was really bad. For it. Anyway, it? nonetheless, it was amazing. And now since then, we're into the thousands, a community of individuals, and they cluster around large organisations where they want to crack workplace culture, which is problematic. Large organisations, they want to get the organisation to better tackle the environment and other things. Um, health massive amount of people who want to rebel and help teachers and education we just did a thing with 60 teachers last week um, they've plugged into different geographies around the country and so I'm for every major kind of corporate booking I'm doing I'm running workshops and I've run from Mercedes to Lego to Heineken to Birdseye to Google to Facebook you know people are desperate to bring about a sense of change in their organisation I'm using those to fund the community based ones for teachers and healthcare professionals and others um, and now I've committed myself to this just for this year at least to do nothing but try and start rebelling. Wow, mix it up. Yep. The, take happiness seriously. I mean, I love all the headings. I haven't read the book yet. But this is like so my kind of headings. It's been an awful lot of fun. It is still an awful lot of fun. And it's a strange feeling, right? 20 years of trying to make a difference, being this role in social enterprise. And the, the things I said at the beginning, you know, have we really done enough? No. And suddenly I found myself with this funny little pink paperback £10 book in my hand. And the power was never what I thought it was. The power is in the individuals and in this notion of leadership that we've got, which is more often than not some white bloke on a stage somewhere. And the leadership we need isn't that at all. It's in every single individual out there thinking they have got what it takes to make the difference that they're meant to make. What happens to pilots when they stop being pilots? Well... All I mean, pilots, I didn't know they had a career path or something. There isn't really a career path. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a job for life. Um, it is a transient moment. It's a, as a tool for those of us in business, right? There are two real moments when piracy becomes a legitimate uh, tool. One is when there's new territories. You know, we need new growth from newer opportunities, new markets, or we know there's a new space we've got to go into. Pirates are typically better than that than the Navy because they're willing to go further and faster mm-hmm. into unexplored territory where there's not a map. Mm-hmm. The other one is when there's stagnation. Mm-hmm. So the need for innovation or there's blockage. And if you look at pirates across history, so whether it's the, the pirate radios that broke the state-backed monopoly of the BBC, mm-hmm. or whether it's the pirate laboratories which are pushing pharmaceutical research and biotechnology farther than big pharma can do because they're interested only in their profitability, or whether it's the dawn of the internet and iTunes being largely based on LimeWire, yeah. or Netflix being based on Pirate Bay, you know, 
there are roles where piracy really, really is fundamentally useful in driving things forward. Making waves at the edges, as pirates do, yeah. that then become ripples that then form the centre. Yeah. So that's the process of change. Yeah. And then the pirate's job is done. And then, you know, there's mm-hmm. the famous quote of Steve Jobs talking about rather be a pirate than a navy. Apple is definitely not a pirate organisation, it's as navy as can be navy, but they know their threat is not going to come from other major tech companies, it's going to come from pirates. So it's a wave, it's a, it's a cycle. Mm-hmm. So the golden age of pirates, where I'm citing this 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 new level of history, um, it got to 1720s. The, the the monarch back in England was very very scared both of the American claims for independence, of rebellion around the world, the France French Revolution, dawning and, and the rest, and so he cr- cr- crushed. You know, there's a, there's a really clear report that he commissioned. Um, the threat of the pirates isn't just the, the the rascalry, the drinking, and the tomfoolery in the women. It is the democracy care for the weak and the injured, the equality of say and opportunity. You know, they're in this proto-democracy in the Caribbean that they're running. That is the threat that they represent to the old order. So they sent the fleet and crushed them completely. Um, and then I think I found the next step of them, because they are this missing link in the story of workers' rights. And in the same towns and villages in Wales, which is where the majority of pirates come from, all up and down the west coast, but they, they cluster around Wales, uh, um, born the fathers and mothers of the cooperatives, um, and the, the early Fenwick weavers up in the west coast of Scotland, and then the whole cooperative movement um, begins to emerge. And when I got to the cooperative museum, I found the seven founding principles of the cops, six of them are in the pirate code. So that about the idea of equality of pay about all members having a say, about the, the dynamic notion that the membership looks after one another. So the pirate code becomes the foundation of the cooperative movement. And this makes sense because the pirates were at sea battling the, 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 the fledgling economy and the, the dawn of capitalism and the trade routes. And then back here, you've got the beginning of industrialization and the same response takes place. We've, we've come up against this threat before. We need mm-hmm. fairness and equality. And so the cooperatives take on the mantle of the pirates. Mm-hmm. So you know that it's transient. The bigger wave, the wave that you make at the edge, the greater the ripple that it's going to be, and the more its potency when it reaches the middle. But your idea is to change culture, which takes place over time. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks very much. Mm. I think it's a legitimate strategy being more pirate. I, I enjoy the paradox of that statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or well, it's just introduced piracy in some parts. Yeah, and it's being more pirate, not being a pirate. There are days when it's totally time to come be more pirate about this. That's it. It's a tool I'm trying to give individuals and organisations to speed things up. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny how the dots are connecting in my head. You know, we spoke to Jeremy Hyman's about New Power, which is a lot about... Yeah, 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 we're we're quite close in our thinking, yeah. You know, the old power, you tell people to do stuff they do it. What you're talking about is, again, a kind of new power where power resides and people with the ideas, the passion and we spoke to Jim Baloch, who wrote yes. about corporate insurgency, yeah. which is a little bit like, what do you do if you are somebody who's pirate? What do mm-hmm. you do? How do you find support? How do you find community? How do you feel like you're not alone or have a mental breakdown, which is what Jim had? Yeah. So it's fascinating. All these pieces of work are coming together because there's a real crying need. Yeah, there, there really is. a different way of leadership, a different way of managing culture, a different way of doing organization. In fact, what I've learned as an HR person in the first 20 years of my career, I'm having to challenge in the next 20. Well, 20 years ago, being big, big in big business was seen as an asset. Yeah. Now it's a liability. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, growth for growth's sake is how you define cancer, and most of our businesses still operate on a cancer-based business strategy. Fascinating, Sam. Really, really good to chat. Thank you very much. Fabulous, and thanks so much for coming along with me and helping me spread the word. That's my absolute pleasure. I'm very proud to be here on your birthday week and give you a gift of being more fun.